Welcome to my podcast, Counselor Mike Cohen. And I use my title, Counselor Mike Cohen, today because I'm starting a series of podcasts as I uh, work towards my next mandate in the uh, Coatsy Luke election campaign. November the 7th is the next election. And uh, certainly, um, I meet a lot of very interesting people as I go door to door. And one of my constituents is Dr. Paul Warshawski, who is the Director of uh, Adult Critical Care Medicine at the Jewish General Hospital. And uh, often I talk to Dr. Warshawski about issues like speeding on the street and issues that are concerning him. Uh, but it's such a pleasure to be talking to him now uh, in such an interesting job. And Dr. Warshawski, you've been in the headlines a lot over the last uh, couple of years. Well, certainly the last year and a half regarding COVID. But let's start. Let's a little go back. When did you start uh, in medicine, and 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 uh, like was how how did it, how did you get it in, into it? What was it? Were you in high school, elementary school? When did you decide you wanted to be a doctor? I'm going to tell this story again. Um, I, I wanted to be a mathematician. Um, I, I, I was a computer geek, and I liked programming, and that's what I kind of planned on doing. And my father, who many people might know. Uh, was a, a professor at McGill University and very active in teaching medical school, told me that he would break my kneecaps if I didn't apply to medical school. And it was just all downhill from there. So you went to medical school. Did you go to McGill? Where did you go? I went to McGill. I graduated medical school in 1993 and I finished all my training in 1999. Okay. So did you go directly to the Jewish General Hospital? Uh, um, is that, was that where you went to work right away? I, I went away for two years. I did a two-year research fellowship in Chicago. And uh, then when I returned, I came back to the Jewish. But in fact, I'd actually already been working at the Jewish. I, I started working at the Jewish on a part-time basis before my, uh, my fellowship in Chicago. And then while I was in Chicago, at the time, the Canadian dollar wasn't worth very much. And the uh, amount of money I was being paid for my fellowship, once it got translated into American money, wasn't enough to live off of. So I used to come back and work for a week at a time in the ICU. And I would do that three or four times a year. Uh, and I actually uh, was able to you know, keep myself financially afloat by doing that while I was there. So I actually started working at the Jewish in 1999, but full-time in around uh, 2001. Okay, so what roles did you start off at the Jewish? What, were, what, was, your, uh, what, what was your role at the hospital? I've always worked in the intensive care unit. That's been, uh, that's what I trained to do. And that's where I've been working. I used to work a little bit in the pulmonary department as well, but now really I work full-time in intensive care. So tell us for someone who doesn't really know, what, what, what is the intensive care unit? I mean, I, we hear the term all the time. We know it's not a good place to be, but, but what is it for the, for the person who doesn't really know? So the intensive care unit is part of the hospital where the sickest patients in the hospital are cared for. Many people often get it confused with the emergency room. The emergency room is where you get greeted when you first come into the hospital, and they can deal with very, very sick patients there to stabilize them. But once, uh, once they, it's decided that they need to stay in the hospital, the most sick patients come up to the intensive care unit. That's where we put people on mechanical ventilators. That's where we use special medications to stabilize people's blood pressure. And it allows us uh, very intense nursing and very intense monitoring and uh, a number of treatments that really can't be provided anywhere else. So what does the director do? I direct. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm a full-time intensive care physician or intensivist as we call ourselves. Uh, and in addition, I'm responsible for making sure that the 
unit runs from a physician point of view, physician staffing, um, protocols, deciding how we're going to manage the unit being there to support my team if they need support or if they have questions, uh, dealing with administrative issues in the last year and a half, representing our hospital in a provincial committee of intensive care physicians uh, that's been dealing with COVID and with other issues related to uh, critical care in the province of Quebec. Okay, so COVID, uh, you know, it's been a year and a half now. Uh, I'm sure you prepared yourself for a lot of things, but when you graduated from medical school, did you ever believe that you'd be spending a year and a half and we're going to go way beyond that dealing with COVID where you're the epicenter of all these really terrible cases coming to your, your ward? We knew that pandemic was something that would happen at some point. Um, we didn't envision this at all. Um, we thought it would be influenza. That's really what most people were preparing for when they prepared for pandemic. Um, we, we had a small one with H1N1, but uh, obviously this uh, <laughs> blows that completely out of the water. Um, so we knew it was a possibility. And in fact, one of the first tasks that I did when I was um, appointed chief of uh, adult critical care was to build a new ICU. Um, shortly after I accepted that appointment, um, I was approached by the, uh, the chief of the hospital at the time and was told that there was a plan to build a new building. And one of the things that would be in that new building was an ICU. Um, I, of course, had no idea how to go about planning an ICU. But one of the ideas that we had was to actually build the ICU with the capacity to take care of a pandemic. So we actually built it with that in wow. mind. We didn't think we were ever going to use it. Um, and, and in fact, even though we planned for it and we built it with that in mind, we actually um, did not put in enough rooms of the type that are required for isolation because this was way beyond anything that we had projected or anticipated. Uh, how difficult has the pandemic been? You've been, you've had a lot of patients, I'm sure a lot of, lot of sad cases of people losing their life. I mean, this is not a, uh, uh, never a fun place to be, but it must be terribly difficult uh, over the last 18 months, the things you've seen. It, it, it's been a, an unreal experience. Um, I remember in the, the peak of the first wave, uh, we were signing over, we would have a, a different position on at night. So the, the day physicians would hand over to the night physicians. And, you know, we've always handed over cases for a person who's on call. But as we were going around and rounding on people, it, it sort of struck me that every single person I was handing over had the exact same diagnosis. Uh, and, and that I've never experienced before. Literally all but five of the patients in the ICU at that point in time had COVID. And to try and keep them straight, you had to try and explain why this per person with COVID was different from that person with COVID and what you were worried about with this one and what you were worried about with that one. Um, Never thought I would experience anything like that. Having to having to uh, increase the ICU to an overcapacity level was not something that I had ever expected. We always had theoretical plans, you know, what if scenarios, but you know, I never really believed that we would do anything like that. But we had to very quickly increase the capacity of the ICU and open up a second ICU, and we had plans in place to even open a third ICU uh, at the peak of the first wave. And then fortunately things started to pull back a little bit and we were able to progressively step back down again. Um, but I, I, never, I never thought I would be leading a team in, in that kind of a circumstance, nor did I ever think that I'd be working uh, 
at a provincial level on, on a disease like this. Um, all of this was unprecedented. And then there was just the, 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 the overwhelming number of cases and the ones that we don't know why, but we, we just weren't able to save. And, and there were lots of cases that we were quite convinced that we would be able to help these people get through. And for reasons that we still don't really understand, they turned the corner in the wrong way and we just weren't able to get them through this. And we had a lot of deaths. So we now- had a lot of cases. A lot of cases. Now we're, now we're shockingly into a fourth wave with the Delta variant. Uh, how bad is it going to get? Uh, we already see the numbers going up every day. How bad can it get the next few months? Are you really concerned? It, it's really impossible to predict. And, and I'm going to say right from the get-go that I've underestimated COVID many, many times already. Um, I've been prepared. I've always had contingency plans and contingency plans, but I've, I've underestimated COVID. Um, I think we're going to see large numbers of cases. I, I I know we're going to see large numbers of cases. Um, I, even though the premier was saying that we could go over 2,000 cases a day, I suspect that we will once again go over 2,000 cases a day. What I'm hoping is that those will be 2,000 relatively mild cases, um, that they will predominantly be in young people who don't end up in the ICU and in doubly vaccinated people who will have mild cases. So I'm hoping that it won't overwhelm the ICU again but we're prepared for whatever happens. We've seen, if you look at what's going on in the States, which is an interesting natural experiment in first world countries with poor vaccination numbers, um, what's very clear is the states that are poorly vaccinated are starting to see their hospitals and their ICUs get overwhelmed. And the states that are well vaccinated are being protected by that. I, I think that we're very well vaccinated in Quebec. We could be better vaccinated for sure but we are quite well vaccinated in Quebec and I'm hoping that that prevents the fourth wave from being disastrous for us. Um, but the more people get vaccinated, the less disastrous it's gonna be. Uh, I am very, very sadly have come into contact with people I know who refuse to get vaccinated. They don't understand, they say they don't trust the sciences. They, they come up with every trick in the book. You've seen death, you've seen it too often because of COVID. What is your message to people who are either hesitant or anti-vaxxers? Yeah, the thing that I don't understand is these people don't trust modern science for whatever reason, I don't know why. Um, and yet when they get critically ill, suddenly they trust modern science. Yeah. Suddenly they want all the treatments that I can provide for them in the ICU. And, and we're gonna do that whether you got vaccinated or not, but you could have avoided being critically ill and in my ICU and on a breathing machine with your life at risk and perhaps dying by getting a vaccine that we now have tons of experience with. I, I know it sounded scary at the beginning, but you know, it was an unknown and I get that. But now billions of people have had the vaccine. We know what the vaccine does. It protects you and it saves your life and it saves the lives of the people around you who you don't wanna make sick with this disease. You know, we were kibitzing earlier about the, the crazy drivers. I think that there's a lot in common with that. Those people, they don't think about people other than themselves. They want to go a little bit faster. Yeah. So they cut you off and they run a light and they do all these dangerous things because the only thing that counts to them is themselves. And stop for a minute and think, 
you take the vaccine partly to protect yourself, but you also take the vaccine to protect the people around you, your parents, your grandparents. You do it to protect the community, strangers that you don't know who are down the line from your potential infection. And you do it because the more that society gets vaccinated, the earlier we're gonna end this for our whole community, our whole society. So I say to those people, rethink your priorities because you're afraid of the unknown, but you're not afraid of the known danger of this virus. We know this virus is dangerous. We know this virus kills. We've seen 11,000 deaths in Quebec. What more do people need to be convinced that this is a dangerous disease? And then some people rationalize and say, well, it's not dangerous to me because I'm young and I'm healthy. And I'll tell you that there are a small number of young, healthy people who have lost their lives or have had their lives permanently changed by being sick with this. But more importantly, every one of those infections passes it on to one or two people and somewhere down the line, someone loses their life. And so to avoid that and having that on your shoulders and on your conscience, because believe me, I've dealt with a lot of people who say, I wish I hadn't transmitted this virus to my parents who are now dead. Um, you can avoid that by getting the vaccine. It, it's just as simple as that. Uh, Dr. Warshawski, that was so well said. I don't even want to ask you another question because I want that to be the ending. I want that to be a learning moment for the very few people who will listen to this podcast and, and maybe go out and get their vaccine. So I want to thank you for all the work you did. And it's on, an honor to have you as my constituent. It's an honor to be your constituent. Thank you very much, Dr. Paul Warshawski from the Jewish General Hospital.